back welcome once again to another episode of mike mike and oscar we have a brand new oscar race checkpoint for you today i am your co-host mike one this is co-host also mike yeah we'll weigh in on jungle cruise and stillwater at the end of the episode we'll have some trailers to start out and a whole bunch of news but this has been one of the more interesting pre-pods we've ever done because we basically (laughs) record without hitting record we recorded a whole thing where you and i went you know, an hour's discussion on the whole ScarJo Disney thing that mm-hmm. you researched meticulously and gave us this whole huge thing, the talk, you know, talking point. We did not hit record for that because we don't know where that is going as of yet. We did a whole thing on the box office stuff. So this is like our second podcast recording of the day, Mike, even though, again, Third, we even. I mean, we talked NBA stuff That's before. Right. <laughs> we talked Knicks and Celtics. So at the end of this episode, we are just going to be like, and then Exhausted. Jungle Cruise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're going to we're going to completely crash by the end. So well, enjoy our perkiness. Yeah. Yeah. While That's, you get it. That's nice for The Rock and Emily Blunt. That's good for them. All right. Well, yeah, I agree. We're probably going to hit a hard, hard stop at some point in the middle of this uh, in terms of energy. But for now, we're we're okay, I think. <laughs> we do have some potential contending or at least new trailers that we want to give our reactions to. And we're going to start with this kind of kinderella, kinder, cinder, cinder block. Yeah, yeah Cinderella 2021, Mike. This is Amazon Prime's mm-hmm. humongous no, musical. No idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I think uh, whatever this movie is called in mm-hmm. 2021, and I am mm-hmm. such an enabler <laughs> to go on with this ruse. Uh, it is rec- un- untitled K. Cannon project. Uh, she, of course, has a track record, K. Cannon, 30 Rock, New Girl, the Pitch Perfect mm-hmm. films. Uh, she just did Blockers, which we loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael. Mm-hmm. I know Blockers. Yep. Yeah. I mean, she is going to make this funny, we think. The uh, the trailer for Cinderella debuted 60 years ago. Uh, we have Cam- Camilla Cabello uh, in the titular role. Apparently, she does a lot of stuff with Shawn Mendes which I guess you could take in many different ways. Uh, she's opposite Billy Porter, Adina Menzel, Pierce Brosnan, Minnie Driver, James Corden, beautiful cast and crew, and James Corden here. Uh, <laughs> Eleanor Adley was the voice of Lady Tremaine. And Mike, the production values of Cinderella 2021 from Amazon here. We have aerial shots, hundreds of people dancing uh, all at once in a town square. We have high-end special effects uh, for the magic that we we see with Billy Porter in those scenes, and then we just we just have a ha- a cast that we know can belt out one musical number after the next. So when we see this in the trailer, our thoughts must be what, Michael? You get the Diamond Edition Blu-ray on Amazon for like twenty-seven bucks right now. You can't beat that. That's a steal. <laughs> September third, September third, <laughs> folks. September. Cinderella 20. There's no cind. I, I sincerely didn't watch this trailer. I've not seen it. I, there's no other Cinderella. You didn't I'm tired of studio well, well, trying well, to convince well, well. me otherwise. Because I I, th- I figured you were doing a bit, and then at the end mm-hmm. of it, you, your thoughts would be in your head. You would you would just you know give them to me about the actual no. trailer. No, I'm not familiar with any of this that you just talked about. <laughs> this is a new level of grudge slash denial. <laughs> 
and the fact that I'm moving on right now to Don't Look Up is just completely enabling you. But Michael, Netflix debuted a teaser trailer for Don't Look Up, played during the Olympics, which uh, I enjoyed a few times because I've been watching nothing but Olympics. I have not been watching a lot of movies lately because these Olympics have been so damn good. They just got into the track and field stuff, which, of course, is right up my alley. I can't, I like literally have a stopwatch out. I love it. <laughs> so I'm taking splits. I love it. I don't think I've watched a single minute. I've been a, a bad patriot, so uh, good. I'm glad to hear that they're worthwhile and uh, are keeping your interest. I've seen a lot of people being attracted to them on social media too. So I'm, been I'm great. happy to see that. No, it's, uh, it's some stuff is just like otherworldly in terms of the right. athleticism on display, what but it's also cool to see like do. the yeah. same stuff. You know, I have my high school kids run. They're running yeah. here just like t- almost twice as fast sometimes. That's cool. Yeah, it's really cool. very cool. Uh, as far as up, don't, yeah. yeah, don't look up the teaser trailer. This is a basic teaser trailer, but I think, at least in my opinion, even from this, you can see Leo really going for it in this character, in the character he's playing. This is the Adam McKay movie we previewed with Leo and J-Law. I'll be surprised, even just based on this, if Leo isn't at least mentioned in the conversation for lead actor throughout the fall and winter. Well, this is Adam McKay saying, hey, I want my Leonardo DiCaprio having a nervous breakdown scene on his own in my yeah. movie too, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. He wasn't blaming any whiskey sours, and this look was the only difference, it seemed, yeah. So that that I mean, that's what we're getting. Like, it's built into his character, so that's, that's something Maybe that's what I'm doing, is I'm fun. just projecting that scene from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood into this 30-second clip of Don't Look Up, and I'm like, oh, that's that's Oscar-worthy. We've seen this before. We've Yeah, we've seen movie people just go insane, Mm-hmm. For for that Rick Dalton uh, type of character over the past few years, even the people that don't love that movie, they're always clicking, you know, the gifs and the memes and using it in their own stuff. So- well, that's because it was the best picture of the year, Mike. Uh, we have <laughs> President Streep. I'm not not just going to move right along. President Streep is in this one, which I think is both foreshadowing and uh, maybe also politically foreshadowing, depending on how the country goes in the next few years. I will say she cuts quite a jib. As Madam President. Yeah. That is a jib that's cut well. I agree. uh, The only other jib that could be cut better is perhaps by a a Glenn Double N close. I'm just saying there. Have we talked about the theoretical (laughs) feud those two have Mm -hmm. on this show before or no? When do we open up the full on Glenn versus Meryl stuff and just show that they take the foam fingers out? Like Mad Max style, but we're we're dressed as <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road people going against the street people. Like we would have to turn on Meryl Streep though. They, I, we haven't gone right, heel that's, on Meryl that'd Streep. That'd be the downside of that. Yeah. What right, movie that. if Meryl Streep is in a horse movie about time travel <laughs> that's called Cinderella? Then you will finally be able to turn heel on Meryl yes, Streep. No, you're right. That would be the perfect, the perfect story. <laughs> and she beats. <laughs> And she beats Glenn Close at the Oscars. <laughs> that movie would take two seconds to pitch, too, in a meeting in any studio. No, right seriously. Now, Hollywood's making everything. <laughs> if Meryl Streep beats Glenn Close at the Oscars for the Sunset Boulevard role, let's say, <laughs> then you're full on. It's yeah. it's all out war. That might be. It, it would take a lot for me to turn on the queen of right. Meryl Streep, but right. that. That combination. Well, not just us either. Just like a film Twitter in general. If like for there to be a real feud, Meryl versus Glenn. I don't think it would happen. I don't think people would leave the side of Streep. No. I think we're geographically inclined to be Team Glenn, but uh, (laughs) being from Connecticut and all, but I don't think that goes farther than these nor'eastern walls, maybe. 
I, I would hope so. But let's get back to this Don't Look Up trailer. I do think you have some serious lines being delivered by Jennifer Lawrence. I do think you have a serious affliction being wrestled by Leonardo DiCaprio. So to me, you're getting those two characters as the quote-unquote straight men in the trailer, which in a satire, that means the entire rest of the ensemble yes. is going to have to be convinced and therefore they're going to play it up satirically to the point where they get to get all the laughs while we have these two Academy Award-winning actors at the center of this trying to be straight-faced, no? Yeah, is this going to be Adam McKay's idiocracy is kind of the... The, Maybe what I'm leaning towards and f- wondering about this myself. One of the most famous, people. yeah, one of the most yeah. ma- famous, quote unquote, straight men. What's his name again? Good God, Luke Wilson. Luke Wilson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least in comedy history, uh, Jonah Hill is getting laughs in this. He's another goofy, relatable character. He is like the the height of satire. I agree, but. If I were to give you odds as to who would be the Hutch to Leo Starsky on screen 15 years ago, how far down that list do you think you would have had to look before you got to Jonah Hill's name? Right. No, <laughs> far. He's far unbelievable. I mean, he's so good next to Leo, too. But he's just, in general, his growth as an actor, and I mean, we've seen his directorial work, too. He's just, he's incredible. 15 years ago, you say? I would have yeah. put Skeet Ulrich in front of Jonah Hill <laughs> on that list. <laughs> No no BS there, but Michael, I uh, hope that we're going to get like Timothy Chalamet being a goofy idiot and all these characters just hamming it up. And we've seen weird off-the-page stuff from McKay before. He's kind of known for that. That's one of his hallmarks, so I'm sure it'll go into that that kind of realm on this one. I also stand by my comment. I don't know what the hell Netflix is waiting for. I don't know why we haven't gotten like an HD version of this trailer on YouTube yet. This grainy footage that somebody took an iPhone video of their television while this commercial was on, got sent all around Twitter, all around YouTube. Everybody's seen it already, so just give me the things I want, basically, is what I'm saying here, and also, coincidentally, the title of my upcoming album debut. (laughs) Give me the things I want. You must be a youngest child. Um... But I think we want things, and we want these things, and I agree with you on that uh, accord. Uh, I will say that maybe there's deals with like NBC that there was just an exclusive teaser for them and only them. I don't know. I guess yeah, anything's possible. Sure. I don't know. I I hope that we're um, we're probably going to get like the don't look up full trailer any second now. Like yeah, we're recording this. <laughs> was there's Wednesday. no bigger lock than than thinking that's going to drop during this recording literally during this recording or right after we stop Mm -hmm. recording but that's for sure michael speaking of netflix though they just released the trailer for kate this is another actioner this is mary elizabeth winstead and of course your pal woody harrelson uh what did you think of kate (laughs) (laughs) uh my thought is why is it always the yakuza it's always the like, Yakuza. There's nobody else in all of Asia causing problems in any of these action movies other than the Yakuza. It's always the Yakuza. It's been always the Yakuza, <laughs> I, I would say. You know, I mean, what what else is it going to be, though? It's a Yakuza or people killing each other with scissors. Because that's well, they, their crime I problem. assume they have some kind of bad person that's not mob-affiliated. No? Even in Fast... Furious Tokyo Drift. It's the Yakuza, though. That's what I'm saying. It's always the Yakuza. <laughs> it's the. Like, you're right. It's the Yakuza in Kill Bill. It's the Yakuza mm-hmm. in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I would say Kurt feels Clint. stereotypish. Clint right? Cliff. What is 
What is uh, Hawkeye's name? Yeah. I don't remember. We all have names. Clint Mansell <laughs> is not the correct name, but that's the name <laughs> yeah, that came to I thought it was Clint, mind. no? I could feel, like I just said to you on a, before an edit, I could feel us hitting a wall. <laughs> like we said. We hit the wall much too soon. Uh, all right. It is always the Yakuza, though. However, I will say, if the Yakuza is chasing you in a car, I want the car to look like this one with the pink purplish lit outline driving through the dark city streets mary elizabeth winstead those visuals my god yeah they really did look dope it had a cool look to it mary elizabeth winstead is doing this kind of action role thing we just saw her in the the birds of prey movie Mm. this is kind of the liam neeson does taken type star turn for action movies for her i would say and i'm interested to see it's from one of the producers of atomic blonde it says that in the trailer itself i'm with it it looks really cool and and it's shot in kind of a kind of a cool way and you think she's actually doing her own stunts? Well, I I tell you what, you got some wide shots. You got some wide shots where she's doing some incredibly athletic things in the trailer like she's, you know, drop kicking people in a bar, right? And you mm-hmm. you see the wide shot of it. So that's awesome. That's something that I think you know, you get an atomic blonde with Charlize Theron doing her own stumps. That's not necessarily something that worked for like a gunpowder milkshake right. this year. Like they did some kind of, I believe Taekwondo is the discipline. They did some of that, which worked in a silhouette in a bowling alley. They made up for the lack of, you know, wide shot athletics, aerobics. I'm not acrobatics is the word I'm searching for. Mm-hmm. There you in go. Gunpowder milkshake. You said you've been watching the Olympics. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Mike, nobody, Gunpowder Milkshake, John Wick's two and three, they're borrowing from all of these recent films. And I'm all about this, you know, lone assassin versus an entire, an entire criminal organization of hitmen kind of genre thing. And of course, if it's the Yakuza, I'm all the more happy because you're right. It's always the Yakuza. <laughs> always the Yakuza. <laughs> we can move on to the trailer for Mogul Mowgli. Mobile Mogul Mowgli? Mowgli's Mogul the Mowgli? character in the Jungle Book, no? Jungle Book, yeah. yeah. I, I Maybe I should have put that together. It's a British-Pakistani rapper is on the cusp of his first world tour, but is struck down by an illness that threatens to derail his big break. Riz Ahmed is going from deaf drummer to now underground rapper. Just, just, just make a band. Well, he is in a band. He's a rapper <laughs> in real life. Yeah. He's uh-huh. Riz MC. He... Huh. He graduated from Oxford. You didn't listen to the mm-hmm. all the no. I, I knew this. Like I knew the rap stuff. Let, let me let me put it a different way. Let me put it a different way. He should just make a band. Is my point. <laughs> a one man band. Sure. Playing Anyone. all the parts. Just have guys around. Make a band. I want to see it out by the Riz Ahmed CD. If he did a Bo Burnham inside thing, oh man, it'd be so it'd be so much heavier too. But I, I, if it could be heavier. What if it'd be heavier? It would be because he's mm. he's known for political rap. Uh, right. The post 9-11 blues, literally, when it, I think he's in college, right? He's in college at Oxford, and he gets a viral sensational hit as, a, as an MC to the point where he's getting studio albums a couple years later, right? So Riz Ahmed has lived this life to a degree. Obviously, I don't think he's, you know, he, he doesn't have the big sick narrative in his past, or maybe he does. I, I, I don't know. But there's some autobiographical stuff here. But if he is doing the Bo Burnham inside thing and he's playing all the other characters in the fake room of his fake one-man band, mm-hmm. how good I'm would in. that be? Yeah, it'd be great. 
I would. I mean, I would, I'd be obsessed with that. Like if you like, that's the type of pandemic movie we didn't get this year. Some people tried it with some short films that Andrew and I reviewed. Netflix is homemade. Like one guy tried it, where like he had other personalities of himself, but he really wasn't an actor. But like if Riz Ahmed played like four characters living in his house. I think we're pitching a decent idea here actually <laughs> it's a great idea that's what i'm saying it's not yeah. a, totally i usually easy. just say yes and go along with shtick but now that i'm thinking about it i think we actually have something here anyway somebody get this tape to riz <laughs> anyway, director basam Tariq. uh he was just announced as the choice of marvel and mahershala ali to helm the first blade film michael so he is directing mogul mowgli here and uh this this guy's got a cool career because he's cut his teeth on documentaries and oscar nominated bafta nominated documentaries well uh, bafta nominated documentaries excuse me he almost got nominated for an oscar with ghosts of sugarland of 2019 mm-hmm. that i thought should have been on the uh the short list that didn't quite make it there the top 10 so it couldn't get a top five but mogul mowgli is essentially you know with those documentaries what nabbed him blade so a we always talk about mcu taking on directors from other genres so that is a cool thing about them even though we just kind of roared against disney before we hit record today for an hour (laughs) still this movie has to deliver goods mogul mowgli to have gotten them the next job, right? So we're we're looking at this movie and saying, yeah, and that's that's why I went on IMDb because I thought I had that exact same thought process. It's carrying a six point seven on. It does have sixteen hundred plus reviews already. I would have expected it to be a little higher. And the look of this is so cool too. You have this. It's definitely got that. I mean, I think like eight miles the easy comparison to make, but mm-hmm. it is definitely shades of that or inspiration of that. And you have the touchstone issues of race and religion that it deals with. So this is once again speaking of Riz Ahmed being in a room, being in a band, being awfully heavy. This seems like it's something that's very, very heavy in content and concept. So this is a BAFTA nominee for actually most outstanding British film last year. So yeah, this is this is an export or an import that we haven't gotten yet. So this is Riz MC showing his. Backstory, this is uh, basically his audition for the MCU and Bassam Tariq. This is something to be excited about. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. And I want to know what the, what the deal with green is. There's green everywhere throughout this trailer, whether it's the lens that the camera's being seen through, whether it's something hanging, somebody's wearing something bright green off screen, a side character. There's green everywhere. I mean, is All that right. just like a You, well, you walked or? into this one because we just came out of, mm-hmm, we just came out of the green night. And green was a major motif yeah. uh-huh. in that one. Um, are you changing uh-huh. your th- thoughts on the Green Knight at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, speaking of grudges that you hold, Venom, yes. Venom, let there be carnage. What did you think of this trailer? Just upset. The more I see, the more from this film, the more upset I get. It's, it's fine. Everything looks fine. It seems like it's striking that same, you know, line towing, almost over the top, goofy tone of the first one. But I have the same depression watching this as I did from the depression of watching Venom for the first time on screen when Sam Raimi Spider-Man three. Like Woody Harrelson is a great actor. I love him. He's great in everything he does. Why wouldn't he be good in this? But he's just it's so wrong for Cletus Cassidy, in my opinion. So you have an attachment to the carnage storyline as a, as a as a child as a fl- yeah in your I'm being formative a snob. years I'm being a total snob here yes and a comic book or a property snob 
you're upset with the casting of Woody Harrelson. This is something you've been on the record for for years. I wonder if it is because that was a terrible stinger scene, just in terms of the stinger scene-ness of it all. But to bring people up to speed, you love Woody Woody Harrelson, you just don't love him as Cletus Cassidy. Correct. I think this is distracting you from what is otherwise a very good trailer about a movie of two giant goo monsters fighting. <laughs> like, if we're going to get two giant goo monsters and they're going to fight in a major motion picture, like, uh-huh. this is as good as those trailers could get, I would say, because this is this is a funny trailer with basically Tom Hardy joking with himself. This yes. is a batshit trailer of that paying off at the end of it. And then this is added enjoyment because we know Tom Hardy wrote a movie essentially or rewrote the movie he had the audacity of rewriting these highly paid screenwriters during the pandemic so talk about a pandemic movie I want to see never is Tom Hardy and acting this out in his living room (laughs) during months of quarantine and then reenacting those scenes out on the zoom broadcast can you imagine And now he is basically the driving force behind the new directions of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. They need to hire you for PR for this movie, Mike, because you just got me so much more excited to watch this than I was. Because you're right. Like, I did only focus on depressing and negative things about this because I can't get out of my own head with Woody Harrelson. But, like, there's positives for sure. And it, it is objectively a good, goofy comic book movie trailer, let's say, because Venom, I don't think, strikes the same tone as the gravitas of something like Doctor Strange or the Avengers does. Well, that's the thing. There's one joke in this trailer, right? The whole trailer is structured on the one joke at the end, and it's hilarious. Right. I guffawed so yeah. loudly when he and, and when Tom Hardy delivered that final joke. So the think about him getting to that joke in his living room by himself <laughs> is hilarious to me. <laughs> I am excited for the movie. Uh, I I hope I'm blown away by Woody Harrelson. I'm I'm legitimately excited for Naomi Harris and that first look of her turning into Shriek. I thought was, uh, you know, again as someone that's a, a fucking gatekeeper for this property for some reason, that made me giddy to All absolutely right. see that. So well, I will say this: I'm genuinely afraid of a screaming villain because I'm genuinely afraid of screaming in my movies. It's right? just. It's just Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. She turns into Adam Sandler from Uncut Gems. <laughs> that would be the most terrifying thing. Like, she is any this of the characters. This is char- how I shriek. <laughs> any of the characters in Honeyland, the yell of John Krasinski in a bit major motion picture, or, yeah, she's just screaming, belting it out in a trailer. I Like, that scares me. Like, if they don't do the wind tunnel ears thing for all her shrieks, I'm literally terrified of this movie. It's KG turn KG comes from out of nowhere. He's like, ah, again. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say this the Edward Nigma hairstyle that Cletus Cassidy, Woody Harrelson had in the Stinger, that's not here. (sighs) Okay. He changed the haircut. Equally equally ridiculous hair, I feel, is here. And he just, it looks like he's so much older than the character he's trying to portray, even just on the screen. Mm hmm. I just, I, I feel like if Woody Harrelson and Tom Hardy fought, Woody Harrelson would get hurt. <laughs> okay. Can I say that? But what if Tom Hardy is preoccupied with eating a live lobster? Shell on. 
I'd like to see the odds from Vegas. Just saying there's upside here. That's all Mm -hmm. I'm saying. All right. Let's move on to the news. And uh, as we all knew, the biggest news story of the week, of which there were a couple, and, you know, we're not going to concentrate on the ScarJo lawsuit yet. Uh, We're going to talk about box office. That was an equally big and disturbing piece of news that came out recently. But let's start as is on brand as can be for this podcast by talking about Clifford the Big Red Dog, Mike. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it is big news that we kind of glossed over quickly with our Clifford the Big Red Dog aficionado co-host, Amanda of Swell Entertainment. But, she, you know, she mentioned it in the last episode where Clifford was yanked off the September release schedule uh, due to COVID fears. That is the the headline from Paramount and from uh, Deadline.com, Michael. Okay, so we say this jestfully, but obviously the big story here is is. COVID and the effects that the rising COVID numbers in America could have once again on theaters. And we already have states and companies all around the country rolling out or rolling back, however you want to define it, new or new slash old regulations to try and stop the spread of this Delta variant. I mean, we live in Connecticut and this state is recommending masks once again be worn in all indoor public places, which we had like five weeks of that not being recommended. New York City just announced they are requiring proof of vaccination for all indoor entertainment, including performances, restaurants, gyms, theaters, etc., As for film studios and festivals, we have Disney requiring all non-union employees to be vaccinated. uh, And Sundance Mm -hmm. is going to require all attendees to be fully vaccinated. And I don't want to turn this political at all. I'd really just like to stick the focus of this part to being just the impact this may have on the theater industry. And the impact is not a good one. This Mm -hmm. is bleak. And I don't know how many more blows any non-global theater chain especially can take but it feels that if movies are going to be pushed back and delayed again combined with the fact that there are currently major studios openly touting in the press how much revenue they produce without theaters on just their streaming networks it makes a bleak outcome for theaters look even bleaker to me mike i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i mean my thoughts are the same ones that that they've always been that the the movie studios that are are incorporating their uh, fates with uh, major streaming services are doing just fine financially. Mm-hmm. We, we've gone over the math, and I was just looking over the HBO Max math today, and I was just playing the macro level, you know, online calculator thing where I was like, right. "Hey, you know what? I'm thinking that they made or that they will make by the end of the year about four billion on their pro- properties, right?" And and that's just with you know the extra uh, you know whatever sixty seven minus thirty eight is million new subscribers. So however many that is, I did it out earlier, and I'm guessing they're making around four billion on this whole last slate. And therefore, you know they if they if they had a three billion dollar you know set of budgets, they're probably doing okay. And I looked at WB's sheets over the last few years and typically they make a, over a billion dollars somewhere between one and two uh their year to year so they're gonna do okay the problem is other studios that don't have streaming services incorporated right. with them or that don't have yet have the subscriber numbers maybe they just push and what do we see paramount plus they don't yet have the subscriber numbers where they want them to be yet even though they're doing well but yeah mm-hmm. they just push clifford uh, and 
what's next? Is no time yeah. to die? I mean, we just had a big Twitter conversation with somebody, with with, a, with many somebodies online before we got yeah, Eric Weber included. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and Joe there, and yeah, what's going to happen with MGM? They're they're typically the most skittish in terms of moving, and we saw that play out during the pandemic several times. <sighs> Are they next? Yeah, and I mean, this is this is the question. That's that's the big one. Is what's what's the next shoe to drop? Is there one? I mean, if you watch the news in this country every night, it's there's no denying COVID's on the rise in pretty much all 50 states right now, and it has to do with this Delta variant. So uh, take that for what it's worth. As far as Clifford being a paramount asset itself, I was a little surprised to learn, and maybe our buddy Swell would be surprised to learn too, that Paramount's touting this as something they plan on making money off of. I mean, they think it's going to be a big success with families, and the reason they are on record as saying the reason they're moving it now is in direct uh, contrast or direct, directly a cause of what's going on with COVID. They don't think families are going to be in a rush to hit the movie theater, so they want to save this for when this will make them the most money it can. And yeah. uh, I don't know whether to be surprised by that news or not, but I did not see Clifford being a, you know, a hallmark moneymaker that Paramount would want to earmark for later times. I will say this about later times. I think production schedules are going to have a factor into this next swath. Like if we did get a next bunch of COVID mm-hmm. maneuverings, let's just say, I don't think we're going to have a stockpile of product like we did the last time. Mm. I think there was somewhat of point. a stockpile and then people could go in and, and just, I think the fact, I think they're chasing it right now in terms of productions. And Hollywood uh, movie making and TV productions, etc., because they've gotten delayed, etc. So I think, you know, maybe Paramount's thinking if we did go into another lockdown and have a dark winter or darker winter, maybe they just release Clifford the Big Red Dog on Paramount Plus, and they actually have a premium opportunity to make big money on it and get more subscribers to it because they'll be benefiting from a lack of, you know offerings out there in the marketplace you know the kids will want to watch something and clifford the big red dog could be that something it's going to be equally curious to see the monitoring i think of all these places requiring full vaccination i mean are we actually going to have somebody sitting at the entranceway of sundance checking vaccination cards before people are let into the theaters how is that going to work i'm not exactly sure how new york city is Going about it now, I would imagine they do something similar at gyms, restaurants, etc. You have to require proof of vaccination somehow, but I wonder how that's going to be, how that's going to affect people's comings and goings, how strictly that's going to be enforced, what's going to happen there if people refuse, etc. My guess is not well, Michael. My guess it won't be. probably a safe bet. (laughs) Airtight, yeah. I mean, but we did here just go over the Cannes Film Festival and, and their measures were even you know, more thorough. I mean, they were literally testing people every single day, right? With, with swabs mm. for COVID. So is that, <sighs> I just wish we were done with this. That's what depresses me yeah, and me aggravates too. me is me that too. we're not, it feels like we're just, if this is cyclical and this is going to become the new flu with, which is a hundred thousand times more the pain in the ass and more deadly or yeah. whatever, whatever. Yeah. It, no, it, I mean, people yeah, yeah, get yeah, mad yeah. at me for even saying that, but well, your point is well taken here. I think, I mean, it's, it is. It's annoying. It's I'm big. a stickler for <laughs> figures. I shouldn't have said a hundred thousand. I'm just saying it's more deadly. But all right, Tribeca just announced it's going to June 8th to June 19th again in 2022. Michael, that's kind of the next story here. And God help us if we're still 
dealing with these COVID shutdowns then, but I'm sure they're going to announce something, you know, similar to what Sundance did in that regard. So, yeah, Tribeca is on the horizon still. Uh, we do still have some film festivals coming up uh, that we can talk about here. We're waiting full lineups beyond Venice and TIFF. Mm-hmm. We did get some more news. New York, for instance, announced that it's closing night film, which is Pedro Almodovar's Parallel Mothers, which is actually going to be the same film that is going to open Venice. Uh, the London Film Festival announced that James Samuel's The Harder They Fall, which we previewed coming to Netflix, is going to be their opening night for their festival as well. So Rob Rosenberg, a friend of the show on Twitter, he keeps tagging us in Twitter questions with Eric Weber, etc., which is always fun. Uh, when we know the answers, we respond. <laughs> this I didn't respond because I don't know the answer, but here's the thing. Parallel Mothers, he's thinking, is it safe to assume that Pedro Almodovar's film will be Spain's pick for international feature. Now, this is interesting because Rob is a just prediction hawk. He loves his predictions, and he's trying to predict international feature. I'm wondering the same thing because Venice, typically, when they pick an opening night film, especially over the last few years, those films have legs, Nomadland, etc. They have Mm -hmm. legs when they make one of their marquee spots well, let's put it this way. Their opening night film is typically something that has legs. Their closing mm-hmm. night film is typically an Italian film that nobody ever mentions again. <laughs> New York is also someone that has a good track record for their opening, closing, and centerpiece films. Now, they have some years where it's Wonder Wheel and whatever the hell else it was in one of the, like, 2018. They they have other years where it's Roma or The Irishman right. and Marriage Story. Uh, when, when I was in school, The Class was a French film, the last international film I remember being an opening nighter or a closing nighter at New York was The Class, and that wound up being an Oscar nominee. So th- those typically have Oscar crossovers, those two festivals. With Britain and with the London Film Festival, the BFI there, they typically pick popular films, Personal History mm-hmm. of David Copperfield, once in a while, they'll pick, I believe, Capernaum was an opening nighter there, or closing okay. nighter. So the harder they fall, you can't necessarily read into that one as much. I would like to. I want any excuse to say that that cool-ass movie is going to be an Oscars right. film at the end of the day. But I just can't get there because their track record just isn't the same as Venice with Nomadland, etc. Hmm. Well, I mean, good for you for going through the history there and kind of contextualizing how these are going to play out and what they could mean as far as the award season to come regardless of any of that excited for the latest from Pedro Almodovar I alongside you have no insight whatsoever as to what Spain or frankly any country is going to do when it comes to the international feature submissions uh I, there are a couple categories I stopped trying to figure out a couple years ago <laughs> <laughs> that falls in line with one of them yeah. so yeah I, I just kind of I, I listen to you and I just kind of Clap my hands like the lady from the Nutty Professor when the nominees come out, <laughs> and that's usually that's usually my intake with the uh, international film category before I dive into the noms. Great reference, great reference, A plus reference. <laughs> so for Moore's Film Festival news here as we move along, TIFF made another wave of film announcements in the contemporary world cinema, their documentary section, and the. Midnight Madness section, which we have been fans of for a couple of years here, Mike. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about some crossover from the other festivals first. We have Sundance Films, now headed to TIFF, Flea, the animated slash documentary slash international feature Oscar contender uh, in Flea. That is now going to TIFF. We also have Clifton Collins Jr.'s 
That's a mouthful. Uh, say he, that, yeah. And the name of the movie's Jockey. So say that all three. Clifton Colin Jr.'s Jockey. I couldn't. Thank God you saved me there. <laughs> I've avoided talking about Cl- Clifton Collins Jr. as a jockey coach, Michael, as a jockey in jockey because of your Woody Harrelson as Carnage Cletus <laughs> size ju- grudge. Ugh. Why did I write so many tongue twisters in this? But you have a grudge. This is scripted. These are scripted shots at me. <laughs> Scripting shots at you because your grudges against certain genre film uh-huh. uh, yeah. are are enormous. Let me ask you something. Name another animal that you can make a movie jockey about. <laughs> okay. Elephants? Yeah. None. Is the answer. <laughs> I do want to say that Clifton Collins Jr., I have a chance to talk about Jockey, and here, here I will talk about it. He is awesome in that movie, Mike. And I do want him on Oscar radars. I think he'll probably be like in everybody's teens at the end of the day. I don't think he'll quite break through, but he was great at Sundance, and I'm glad he's going to TIFF to keep his momentum going. But let's start with the TIFF docs. Uh, let's go over some uh, three in particular that caught our eye. So we have Liz Garbus. She's directing Becoming Cousteau. That's going to be about Jacques Cousteau, the legendary oceanographer and explorer. Uh, for her part, Garbus is a two-time Oscar nominee in the doc feature category, another category that you put all the time and effort in the world to trying to figure out, and I just kind of sit here and watch the wheel spin <laughs> before I... Because I just... I can't. I don't know how you have the strength, man, but God bless you for I doing it. I figure, like, you could get into the documentaries, though. Like, that would... I could... I could... Yeah. The documentaries on their content, I can. But the emotional investment, I cannot. I just think you're such more... You're you're more of a news hound than me. You per, you probably follow these stories more than I have over the last four years. And maybe that's why you're not necessarily as interested. Like, I'm coming to these stories for the first time ever because I don't follow the news. And I'm like a freaking ostrich with his head isn't head in the sand, <laughs> waiting for them to be put into our story formatted for me. Maybe that's it. I mean, maybe. Might have found some personal enlightenment there. I don't know. <laughs> but I do like the documentary feature nominees more uh-huh. often than not, even though occasionally we end up with an octopus teacher. Look, Oc- my octopus teacher is a good movie, though. The problem is it's just not as ha- hard-hitting journalistic yeah, you know, as as some of these others that and that's uh, why, like, if I'm going to be emotionally invested by something, I can't right. be upset by an octopus teacher. But like, you know, if you I had to watch ten that. movies like The Dissident, I think you'd be into mm-hmm. that, and especially if you discover. But you just don't want to come down that journey with me. Mm. Mm. It sounds yet. it sounds taxing. Like even you suggesting <laughs> that, it sounds so taxing. All right, uh, the rescue. I don't know how taxing that'll be, but it'll be taxing on my nerves, Michael, because we know the directors from the rescue. They are free solo directors that just climb mountains and shoot movies while they're up there. This is Good Jimmy God. Chin. This is E. Chai Vasarhelyi. Kudos to them. They are daredevils in, in how they make movies. And they mm-hmm. made a movie about the Thai soccer team that got stuck and got rescued from a cave after being in there for 16 days. Do you remember this story in the news, Michael? I do. I do remember it. And because, I remember thinking, like, every time, yeah. every day, something would happen and there'd be well, new, more news to it. And it's like, spoil the, the ending. I what? know it might be in the title, but don't spoil the ending because I didn't follow the story. I was an Austrian. Wait, you never heard the story, really? No, I've never heard the story. Oh, wow. So I have no idea how it's going to end, and I want to see this documentary. So stop I hope it. he lays out the geography of the cave because it's something to behold. Wow. Um, oh, I can't have, wait. 
uh, Eva Orner of the Oscar winner from Taxi to the Dark Side. It's an award she shared with Alex Gibney. Orner is going to show her firm Burning. That's going to be about the Australian wildfires and the political stalemate over climate change in Australia. And this is what, like, these are all, these all just, they're so heavy. I don't know how you sit through all of these. All right. Well, maybe you don't know Jacques Cousteau, but do you know what's happening in Australia over I wildfires? I do. I do. And it's, I mean, Again. it's infuriating. It's, yeah, it's political. Anything political, anything that could be political, I kind of like put into my veins way too much as it is. Okay. So I have to remove myself at times. So you don't need the, uh, you don't need the Hollywoodified version of it. The two hour news broadcast of it. No, right. I, but that's what I like. Uh, like I, well, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I mean, look, I, I, I don't give a shit how you get your news as long as you stay informed. <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, well, you got to kind of have an idea of what's going on. So we're on two different sides of this crescent moon, but we're under the same <laughs> crescent moon is what I'm trying to say. Michael, we mentioned a whole other swath of can to TIFF crossover films, but we got a few more today, I believe. I believe these are all newly added. But Ahed's Knee, audience favorite, compartment number six, and of course the Palme d'Or winning Titan. Michael, Titan is not heading to the Contemporary World Cinema section. It's not heading to the galas or whatnot. It is heading to the Midnight Madness section with films in recent years like Shadow in the Cloud in 2020, The Platform in 2019, Halloween's in 2018 and the disaster artist in 2017 only one of those was even in an oscar conversation that didn't come from your mouth michael what do you think of Tatan going to midnight madness on the one hand it feels proper right i mean if you if i were to tell you a basic layperson explanation about what i know about the movie Tatan right now you'd think <laughs> yeah that's a horror movie right on the other hand it is a little surprising to see someone that's been see a film that's been won such serious awards from such a serious body like can to kind of be relegated to midnight horror, but maybe that's me being judgmental and I should, I should look at Titan as bringing up the prestige of the midnight madness section. I don't yeah. know. That's an interesting glass, half full, half empty argument yeah. there. Or is yeah. it, it does, do they even give a damn? Because it's just, you know, like we said, we love this section because some cool ass movies have played there. And we always come out of uh, TIFF saying, all right, which movies we're playing there? Well, let's go check them out. And we're right. quick to check them out. So we don't care. But maybe and we're going to see Titan either way, too. Yeah, but maybe for France, if it, if Titan wins this category, that doesn't push them towards selecting it in the Best International Feature category, or does it? This is interesting. I we, wonder, we are I, yeah, awards I wonder pundits knowing here. what we know about France in terms of their selections, too, if they want that movie representing them at the Oscars. Because, I mean, we haven't dove into the, the backstories and the political machinations of how countries choose their films for many countries, but France is one we've kind of focused on a bit here. True. And we know a little bit about them, and I wonder if, if left to their own devices, if they want this to be at the their Oscar representation, or if they're looking for an excuse to not pick it. Uh, I don't want to make any... Blanket statements about France. I will say this. They had... The one year we covered it closely was with Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Les Miserables. Yep. And they mm-hmm. had two good films on their hands in that yep. year. I, I preferred Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but when I did finally get to see Les Miserables, it was awesome. So they... You know... Sure. I don't know. I, I think... Uh, if it, I think we typically get to know the French slate early because the French slate typically 
premieres at Cannes, mm-hmm. we know they got a bunch of movies. Right. The fact that a jury of ex-filmmakers, etc., picked one movie over the others doesn't necessarily say that it's going to get picked for the Agreed. Oscar selection. Agree. Yeah. I think that's a good place to land on that. It's going to be interesting to see how that's received, too, over, I would think, again, Midnight Madness seems like where Tatan should be, but I hope it is Tatan bringing up the prestige of that part of tiff there let's talk about a box office section and making the case on a newly released film to end this episode here mike we had jungle cruise which ended up doing 34.2 million domestically on its opening weekend it ended up pulling in another 27.6 internationally and disney went and bragged how it did 30 million on pvod which means it did a shitload well for disney because otherwise they wouldn't be bragging about it yeah. uh, right now if you follow all those numbers that's a 91.8 million dollar opening weekend take it's got a A minus cinema score, and it's doing all this on a two hundred million dollar budget. What do we think overall, Mike? Well, I enjoyed my movie watching experience of Jungle Cruise. I tweeted about it. I tweeted uh, a very punny pun that I'm not ashamed of, and I'll mention again now. Raiders of the Lost Bark <laughs> is my <laughs> alternate title. Pirates of the Caribbean Six, Raiders of the Lost Bark. There, <laughs> yeah, it's totally that. It's totally a Pirates of the Caribbean styled film with all that wacky hijinks and adventure. And you put at the center of it two charismatic movie stars at the peak of their powers in The Rock and Emily Blunt, who from start to finish are just doing movie star level things that just make you laugh and make you happy. And then they're doing all their action with it. I, they just had great chemistry together, mostly breaking each other's balls. And I, I, I enjoyed this movie much more than I ever thought I would. They're also breaking each other's balls in all the promotional interviews the two of them are doing together. There is a natural chemistry there, I will agree. I've not watched the movie of Jungle Cruise yet, but I've seen some of the promotional materials. And yeah, there's they they get along. You could, they have fun here. Right. Yeah. Before I said anything, though, what would your expectations about Jungle Cruise have been, though? Pretty exactly what just you just described. Just give me described. something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly what you just described. The two of them palling around, breaking each other's stones. And yeah. An exact a Disneyified Jungle Cruise movie. If well, that I tell makes you sense. what, I screwed up in terms of the fact that I left the house before I booked tickets, right on my AMC A list because I knew I had to stop at the at the gas station. Uh-huh. So I stop at the gas station and I'm like, oh no, I missed the Stillwater screening. So I have to book something else to hold myself over, and there's an uh-huh. Arby's there. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I I guess I planned out the rest of my Saturday. Where I was Around like, Arby's, as one who eats Arby's usually has to. Well, here's the thing. I was full, and I was still planning in Arby's. I went Jungle Cruise, Arby's, Stillwater, rush home. So and go you to had the a triple feature that night. Quadruple feature, because I had to rush home and go to the bathroom. Of course. I was trying not to make that joke. <laughs> not to be so blunt about it, but that's good. But I, I, almost saw the, I almost saw the Green Knight again. So you'd be proud of me that I didn't see the Green Knight again. I oh, like, I would have been furious with you if no. you saw <laughs> I was just like, give me a big dub VFX movie with two movie stars that I like, and I'll be happy to see that. And then I don't have to buy it for $30 on Disney+, Plus, which I probably would have reluctantly done. Right. So you saw this on the big screen. You did not, you did not do the Disney I Plus I did experience. not do $30 on Disney+. Plus. I saw Jungle Cruise on the big screen, and I loved every minute of it. It's fun. It, like The suspense works. The action kind of works. And the VFX are better than you'd expect. So to speak... Back to like your worries about some of these trailers in the past and Venom. I think you mentioned something. Yeah. Anyway, Jungle Cruise had bad VFX at, at the trailer stage. Yes, it did. 
they're not Lion King-like on the big screen, but they're so much better at the end of the day, and it's finished product. So maybe that speaks well for Venom and, and so other such things. Yeah, and what, what Mike's referring to is I had written down. There's shots in Venom's second trailer. You the, didn't the mention it. I Venom read. 2 okay. second trailer. That's easy for me to say as well. Yeah, I didn't mention it, but there's shots that... It looks great, and there's shots that I think you can clearly see the post-production computer FX added on after when I was just surprised that it's a Marvel and Sony property and you see that. But the hope is that those do get ironed out before release, and you're just mentioning how we had some of the same concerns for the Jungle Cruise trailer, and those did get ironed out. Uh, as far as the rest of the top five goes in the box office since this weekend, The Green Knight actually finished second, $6.8 million at the box office. Old, just behind it, $6.7 million. It's up to 48.6 worldwide. Black Widow is still chugging along. We know it did at least $60 million on PVOD, uh, so it's up to at least $403.6 million worldwide. Uh, that's going to lead to a whole bag of issues between Scarlett Johansson and Disney that we're going to get to at some point uh, in MMO. But fifth on this list for this weekend was Stillwater, which opened to a $5.1 million domestic box office. So yes, after Arby's, I went to see Stillwater <laughs> and... Look, I saw Stillwater and tweeted about it well before Matt Damon had one story after another in the press that just yep. was worse and worse and worse and made him look like just such an listen asshole. Listen to Bo Burnham, everybody. Listen to Bo Burnham forever and just stop saying things. And stop using words like this. And stop. Yeah. What are you doing? What is like? What year are you from? What life have you lived I don't understand it. And why are we giving you all our money if you're an asshole like that? So I was just I was just really frustrated after watching this movie because he is damn good in the movie, Mike. And he's he looks like he's pretty good in the last duel, but Stillwater is a film that we were very skeptical of after its trailers, right? We were like yes. on the one hand, Spotlight's one of your favorite movies of the last five years, and I Absolutely. like it too. Very rewatchable. Tom McCarthy is of course the director of Spotlight, mm -hmm. that favorite film. So we figured he was going to make something halfway decent on the one hand, like we said. But right. also, it was getting a lot of uh, menacing reviews, I would say. And when I say a menacing review, everybody was like, well, the applause went on really long, but at Cannes, mm. we have mm. four movies baked into one. But what they didn't say is that the Three movies in particular baked into one here are three movies that kind of work. A, it's a father-daughter prison drama that works, I thought. Like, okay. him and Abigail Breslin are doing a nice job on the okay. one hand. B, it's this fish-out-of-water story where it's Matt Damon playing an Oklahoman is living in France with this mother-daughter who are just delightful. Like, a, <laughs> a, a, a Camille Cotton plays the mother she's delivering a tremendous performance and the little girl whose name i didn't write down she's great in this film playing off of matt damon playing an oklahoman i'm i'm in to that story so it's just wow, a delightful good. story and then it's the third story of matt damon amateur sleuth where he's trying to figure out the mystery of who killed the the woman that uh, his daughter is in prison for killing so that was the name of a goosebumps book yeah, <laughs> it's a good joke that I was trying to transition before you Thank made it, you. before it resonated with me. So, like, to, I want to make the case for this movie, but then Matt Damon has to stick his foot 
so, so far down his throat. Yeah, I'm week. very, I'm very surprised and enthused actually that you have so much good to say about Stillwater. That a lot of people do, honestly. It's not gotten killed to the extent that we feared it might, which is. It's good. a good movie. Gosh darn it. It's a good movie, and I feel guilty for saying it's a good movie after the freaking week and for the a- the asshole things Matt Damon has done. Right, so, which I think is a fair place to land if you're anybody, whether you're a fan of Matt Damon to begin with or not. I mean, you just those stories are right. ridiculous. And that's not even... We've had hour-long text... Well, we've had, 50, we had a solid 20 minutes where we argued via text on the whole Amanda Knox angle of this. And I think we both came to the same conclusion is that Hollywood's been doing this for literally a century. Yeah. The non-authorized biography that they somehow artistically license into fiction when in fact it is quote unquote more based on a true story than the movies that begin with the phrase and title card based on a true story because this is very much and i watched the amanda knox netflix doc this is very much her story until they change it very much so change it according to the facts and kind of make her look bad in certain ways and kind of make the story just close enough to aggravate everybody who actually has any you know uh, attachment to Amanda Knox, I would say. So, in your opinion, you're basically what you're saying, and I, I have not seen this movie, but what you're saying is that you, there's a, there's, there's a difference, but it's easy to tell this is the Amanda Knox movie still. Which yeah. is the point she was making in her Twitter uh, dialogue when she went off and saying that she thinks she's being ripped off, frankly. Right. It's a rip off of her story. Now, there's a whole other legal argument that you and I kind of touched upon and we're not going to get into it now and then i don't but th- t- there's an illegal argument there's an ethical argument there's a there always is <laughs> there's all different levels of argument arguing that you and i could do when we're not as tired as we are now that we will not do <laughs> but like there those arguments are worth having right i mean i think those discussions are worth having and we had a pretty darn good one we got to start hitting record for more things i think because maybe we should just have mike and mike free talk Mike and Mike it's, free talk. We Mike do and the Mike. old Bill Simmons disclaimer. It's a free flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. <laughs> Remember Ed TV? Like we, <laughs> I mean, that'd be the further extreme. Just Mike TV and just yeah. But no, I think uh, I think we have a lot of good conversations off Mike. We had a Did good you conversation. Say Ed TV or MTV? Ed MTV would work for Mike no. too. Remember the Matthew McConaughey movie? Yeah, Ed that's what I, I thought you said. Ed TV, but a I thought night- then I couldn't tell if you were making a joke about our first names. MTV, Mike TV. That's good too. You see? Both those jokes are very up my alley. I, I got an idea for a channel. <laughs> perfect, perfect uh, uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar humor right here. But look, from Citizens Kane to Primary Colors to Vice, etc., unauthorized dramas based on true stories, they play out all the time. Yes, they are a. a for better or worse, a Hollywood staple. If something's going to change about them, and the, if something's going to have to change in the legal sphere, is what I should be saying, if something's going to change about that on the Hollywood level, I just don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, the reasons of which, like Mike said, we can get into some other time. Mm-hmm. Uh, to wrap up here, the last 
kind of story I really wanted to make just a note of is the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, the Deadline article just came out right before we hit record saying that Warner Brothers is now adjusting their worldwide projections for Suicide Squad to take in $70 million worldwide. So that's, what, a $30 million domestic opening they're, they're aiming at now, Mike? Yeah. So on the one hand, when they said $70 million, I was like, that's great. And right. then you said worldwide, and I was like, that sucks. Right. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, compared to last weekend, they're basically saying it's between 30 and 40 million. This would be a, a hold. But here's the thing. My guess, if you if I had to do a box office in a normal year, a box office pool with you, mm. I would guess Suicide Squad would make over $100 million at the domestic box office. Right? And in a normal probably. year. Yeah, probably. Easily. So, so if it's making 30, that's not great. If it's making 40 in our times, that's probably good for our times, is what I'm saying. And I'm, cur- I'm curious that what the box office run I mean, there was times years ago where $30 million as an opening meant you were a $100 million domestic movie. Yeah. I don't know that it means that anymore. I would Correct. tend to think it does not mean that, actually, because of pandemic times, especially if the virus does what it does. So it's just another example of, man... Here's a $100 million property theaters aren't going to get because they're going to get 30% of what it used to be. So take that for what it's worth in terms of your future projections for how the theatrical industry is going. Uh, no, it's, You know it how we think it is. Totally makes sense. and the, It's a shame, too, because they actually they're going to implement the Thursday night previews now for these day and date WB movies. So it's actually not day and date. It's actually playing a night earlier than it's on HBO Max, right? Does that actually get a Dune? <laughs> Does it, no, it can't. I think there's a rule. It has to be a, at least a week early. I think so. Yeah. If it's just a night early. <laughs> what we should do is riff about hard and fast Oscar rules on the end of what is technically our third podcast recording of the day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rooting for Suicide Squad as a movie. We'll see what it does. We'll talk about it next uh, episode or next week, I guess. We surely will. Uh, Guys, as always, want to hear from you. What are your thoughts about what's going on at the box office? What are your thoughts about Stillwater, as well as the trailers that we previewed and reacted to, and anything else we touched on this episode or otherwise in the MMO Empire? Empire, umpire, good lord, mm-hmm. baseball on the brain. You could leave us those thoughts on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at mm and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially the Apple Podcast app. And if you're listening to us on there, if you would leave us a five star review, that would be awfully kind of you, Michael. Tell the good people what's coming next from us. If you know, if we know, because now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know if we landed anywhere with it. And uh, some words of wisdom to end on. Well, judging by our conversations of late, we're going to do a podcast on the Knicks and Celtics, (laughs) their futures uh, and their three-year projections. We're Mm going to do a podcast on the Olympics and how fast these track runners run uh, as opposed to my own uh, kids that I coach. Uh, Uh We'll also do a a pod about... uh, About uh, Scarlett Johansson and no, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's this is what this is what's gonna be. It's gonna be the first ever MMO free talk, and it's just gonna be it's gonna devolve into me yelling. I like that name, and I think it should be on the MTV network. <laughs> I, I, can I get a compromise? No, yeah, uh, but look, I think uh, we, we know the movies that uh, we're excited about. We are legitimately excited to study 
or let's say this we're excited to see Annette and the Suicide Squad. Yes. We're excited to uh, maybe touch on Val again after you see it, Michael. Yes. And all of that's coming to, you know, move, screens in front of your face this weekend. So we're going to cover one of them at the very least at the beginning of an episode. And maybe we'll do a full film study. Maybe not. I don't know. Stop having expectations of us. <laughs> next week is Coda and whatnot. We'll probably do Coda, but we're, again, we will have options again next week, which is a cool time for everything to get shut down again. Gosh, yeah, damn. and that's what I was just going to follow up with. Like this, we know this sprint that we're about to embark on yeah. at the end of September. What's going to happen there? But I tell you, I'm starting to enjoy August already. Like I said, I just had a really darn good time at the movie theaters all weekend. And and say what we want to say. We're assholes for not mentioning that we saw The Green Knight with Andrew Morgan of the Nomcast. Like, yes. we did a whole episode, because because Swell was, like, literally a half hour beforehand. You and Swell made a deal to do... <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge... That's You're absolutely right. That is... that We are assholes. You're Andrew right. yes. made a great joke about the Apple terms and conditions <laughs> being the plot of The Green Knight <laughs> that I was excited to tell you came from him <laughs> during that recording, but we... Totally, I, I didn't even mention that paragraph that I wrote down about it because Amanda uh, and I and you and I had a big, ridiculous, absurd conversation that we loved. And unfortunately, Andrew, you got sidelined, buddy. I'm sorry about that. But we had a good weekend at the movie theaters, Mike. Yes, and we we're did. looking forward to many more to come. And now we got all this COVID stuff again. COVID Terrible. again seems like a band name. <sighs> Riz Ahmed should start. Yeah. Riz Ahmed. It would be just serious enough for him to tackle and just funny enough for him to tackle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Should end this episode, huh? <laughs> I would Guys, so. when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you. See you.